Chapter 40 The Ultimate Realization The king was pacing in the back while I sat in my chair watching the women pack up their purses and leave with the generals. Jane was hesitant to go, but the preacher pulled her along and out the door. And if she was trapped under their control, if she had no choice but to continue on, then that made two of us. There was always a choice, and I could forsake the king's orders and run after her. Or I could fight the battle Cicero had spoken of by following my own path, and that's what I was praying Jane would do too. Here I was, alone with the king, when the door shut and all the voices went mute outside. This whole pyramid had been engineered so sturdy that each wall was impeccable and soundproof. A moment ago I watched Jane's eyes peer through the door before it closed, and she was gone for good. It seemed as if the king and I were in a separate dimension without anyone's voice to disturb us. The kitten crept out from under my chair to sniff the bag that Cicero had yet to emerge from. There are written rules we call laws, but there are also unwritten rules too, said the king. Do you know the difference? His hand alternated between his hips when one wasn't rubbing his beard as he continued pacing by the back bar. I wrote the laws so that everyone aboard this chaotic structure could have the slightest bit of direction. For example, the first law I created was to protect our Grand Pyramid at all costs. That's why there's no fire allowed inside our vessel, said the king. Now do you know what happens to the people that break the laws I wrote? He had broken his own law too. Sure he caught me when I lit the bill on fire, but it was the king who had given me the ingredients to ignite my flame. Of course you know what happens. We put them in extraction because you're the beast who tortures them. So what happens to those people who break the unwritten laws? What do we do with them? asked the king. Well, there's no place for them in extraction, and there's certainly no place for them in our pyramid. So where do they go? He stopped to pour himself a drink. The red mahogany-colored whiskey dripped into a crystal glass before he carried it with him and took a seat in his throne beside me. Let me show you what happens, said the king as he pressed a button under the table. I call it extinction. The only curtain still concealed in the room sprung open beside the brick wall to reveal a lone man deserted in a cell. There were many cells housed around this room, but this cell contained no bed, no chair, and not even a mirror for the old man in the corner. He was left to wither alone, and his gray hair had grown mangled when he tilted an eye over his shoulder to peer at us. The closer I looked, the more I realized that this man's space was not a cell, not even a cage, but rather this was the old man's grave. There was no door in. The metal bars were permanently mounted into the ceiling and the floor. He was dying here, and even Ma knew it. This man was unwilling to learn our ways, and when there is nothing left to extract, we must wait until they go extinct, said the king. This poor man had nothing left. They'd abandoned him with the clothes on his back, a hole in the corner, and all that was left was a pile of wax from melted candlesticks over time in the center. If you ever try anything like that again, I'll put you in a cell once he's dead. Do you understand? said the king. I understood the king's command, and so I nodded in agreement. Looking back toward the old man's cell, I noticed he was nowhere close to death. This man's soul was glowing so bright, even if his body was ready to pass. The king's eyes could only see the material world, and all he'd ever focused on was the physical entities roaming under his command. But the king's eyes were not aware of these energetic forces emitting from the old man's illuminated crown. Yes, the king had the golden crown, but someday his authority would end. And meanwhile, this old man was emitting a light 
ready to ascend. He was the true ruler, the benevolent leader of the cosmic lands, now caged in a three-dimensional cell. But who was this old man? His back was still to me, and every time he took a breath in, I saw the light glow as if God approached him with every bit of air. Exhaling the breath out, I watched his light approach God, and then he held the exhalation and surrendered to this almighty light. This man was exhausted and weary, but there was no panic or worry. He was far from done. Light was radiating through his core when I realized that the old man had already won. He had taken this life as far as it would go, and even as he sat dying, he fostered a power that the king didn't know. Just as demons will never rest, this angelic man would not quit. He was fighting to the very end, holding a magical light that few could emit. A demon was living beside this old man all along, and yet he still cultivated this light, which was impossible to resist. The king had confined him with nothing, and still the old man was determined to persist. And what crime did he commit? I asked. He broke an unwritten law, one so terrible that this was the only option left for him, said the king. He tried to turn the people against me, and the sentence for terrorism is extinction. Terrorism. He was referring to the unlawful use of violence and intimidation, especially against civilians, in the pursuit of political aims. There was certainly a terrorist in the room, but it was not the old man. It was between the king and I. Now the king stood up and wandered back towards the permanent cell, sipping his whiskey when the arrow had touched my hand. Now the king clinked his glass against the metal bars, trying to get the old man's attention. We always end up where we belong. Isn't that right, Ditto? said the king. The old man didn't respond. Instead, Ditto focused on his breath, staying concealed in the corner. Isn't that right, yelled the king. He threw his glass between the bars, and it shattered against his back. Blood trickled down his spine, yet somehow it hadn't disturbed the awareness of his breath. You're either with me or you're against me, said the king. From now on, you follow all my rules, or I'll make sure you regret it for the rest of your life. Do you understand? said the king. I was looking at Ditto when I nodded on my own, but it was T. Hammond's glove that wouldn't agree. I was simply observing when T. Hammond's palm took hold of the arrowhead rather tightly. Good, said the king. Now, Jack, show me your loyalty and pack me a bowl. He pointed at the glass apparatus. What? You work for me. You always will, Jack. And since I want to get high, you're going to fill that bowl full of crack, said the king. He was looking at the bag of quality drugs before he went to the back bar to refill his drink. He turned, and I unzipped the bag of quality drugs when Cicero's smile emerged. Lying on his back with his belly facing me, he raised a paw and handed me an orange pill bottle. There were all sorts of orange bottles labeled with various substances underneath Cicero, but the opossum insisted this was indeed the one. I took the orange bottle from his paw when the word stated the drug was called DMT. I couldn't remember everything, but I was aware of the past and how each moment of my life brought me to this present moment. If not for this substance, then Collie Jack would still be locked behind the brass door, and I would have never found her. It's not a mind eraser. It's an ego operation. A racer of sorts, but I still think it's a meeting with all the ancestors through God. Whatever the substance was, I meant no harm when I popped the cap off and began to pack the DMT substance into the glass bowl. Ditto's eyes followed me. I was silent and aware of the choice I was making when my own light began to glow. I carried the glass pipe over to the king. 
Good man, Jack, said the king. He took the pipe, then raised a compact torch from the back bar. Now about the money, said the king, flicking the torch on. I'm afraid you're going to leave it with me. It was never yours to begin with. In fact, even Davis owes me, so let's call it even. Understood? I looked back at the table. Green papers were scattered with the king's portrait, and it meant nothing to me. He could keep it all as long as he took a breath of that smoke. It's yours. The king lowered his lips to the glass pipe. Good, he said. The compact torch sent a ray of intense fire scorching the white substance. With his lips secure against the glass pipe, he inhaled a giant puff of white smoke. Holding it in his lungs, he exhaled a cloud past my face as the smoke billowed out into the room. You're free to go now, he said. And soon you will be freed as well. The king's smirk fell flat on his face. His eyes stared dead ahead while the rest of his body began to collapse into mine. The king muttered, What drug was? He tried to find a seat, but the drug came upon him as his pupils changed. He was leaving this physical world and entering a new dimension when I lowered him onto his knees and held his shoulders against my waist. He was sitting on his heels when I watched his eye close. Soon his entire sight would dissolve and he'd forget how he was living in this body all along. He's a goner now, said the kitten climbing out from underneath the table. The man called the king, the one who had killed me, was helpless and alone, kneeling before thee. With his body numb, I wasn't sure if anything would hurt. And even after I killed him, let's all remember the truth. He killed me first. Oh, not I. No, not me. I was someone in this body, but not a Mowgli, you see. It was T. Hammond's idea, because he was already dead. So it was T. Hammond who moved our legs toward the king, kneeling ahead. All I did was watch, through one little eye, and here I saw T. Hammond's fingers pulling out a canvas holding an arrowhead high. Unrolling the blade, T. Hammond stretched the canvas tight. It was taut between both his hands while he held the arrowhead on our right. Approaching from the rear, T. Hammond threw the canvas around the king's head. Pulling the page tight around his face, every thread began to spread. Then we pulled his head back and I, but this was not I, this was not me. T. Hammond was doing it because Amokli was dead, you see. I was simply observing what a single human being already did to me. Now T. Hammond pinched the canvas around his face when the king opened his eyes. His eye was poking through the lone hole, revealing how a king would cry. Tears were falling. Now his mouth tried to speak, but the drug held him tighter than I was holding the page around his cheeks. But this was not I, no, this was not me. All I did was watch while T. Hammond pinned the king on his knees. This man was helpless, even Ditto knew he was dead, and now the preacher gasped while T. Hammond lowered the arrowhead. Wait, someone was in this room, but why did I care? T. Hammond was braver than any general ever even dared. Her blade was sharp, pointing at the back of his neck. This was the same way he killed T. Hammond, and now this hawk began to peck. Yes, a white hawk with one eye, a bird with a canvas beak. And T. Hammond held the page tight while the king tried to speak. Now a ladybug was looking down, and then I, but it was not I, this was not me. T. Hammond steadied the arrowhead on his neck when my third eye opened to see, because as I looked down again, I found some words looking back. Life is beautiful, were the words I had written so long ago. So poetic and true, even the broken sentence seemed right. It was a reminder to be myself while the king tried to fight. And if the king was dying, then soon he'd be dead. And so I wanted to prove which slave put the blade through his head. Pinching the canvas tighter, 
I pulled off my mask. His eye was peering up into my eye, into the life of Collie Jack. One eye, the king muttered. Yes, now this was I. Of course this was me. T. Hammond's copper mask was gone, and I came to fulfill the king's final deed. I locked on to his eye, and then a ray of light came in view. Wait, I saw a moth flickering her flame. I saw our light coming through. There was no mistake when I saw her light within this man. She'd given birth to this king, and we were connected through this man. This made us kin. We were long-lost brothers, and if I banished his light, then this would be a sin to all our fathers and mothers. I dropped the arrowhead. I had to step back. The light within this man was the same light of Kali Jack. And if we saved this king, if we exposed Ma's light, then her spirit would spread through all of us and all futures would be bright. It would glow in all people, through all cities and states. Everyone would wake up to see the truth. The awakening awaits. I released the canvas from his head. I was safely backing away. The blank page fell to the floor and... A pocket of light exploded from behind. All the energy in the room shifted while I watched the king fall forward after I saw her light explode. I was trying to set her light free. That's why I dropped the arrowhead. But now the canvas was soaking in fresh blood pouring out from the king's temple. Time stood still long enough for King Burns III to lay dead on the floor. He'd become a silhouette of a soul lying empty before me. I turned around and saw a smoking barrel in Jane's hand. No. We were so close. If he changed, then everyone would see it. If he changed, then all the people could grow too. They were about to see our light illuminated through their own king, but now all the masses would remember how the natives took him down. They'd say I took the king's life, and we'd be on the run forever. Fake news would spread, and whatever lie the citizens wanted to believe would be twisted into the latest gossip. A new panic would arise, and we'd be left with the fears of our foes for the rest of our lives. Life is cruel, said Jane. Everything we ever touch has to die. No one but the preacher was with her. The room was silent, and then Ditto began to hum the sound of the om from his cage. After the noise settled, Cicero was making his discomfort known. He'd been drenched in blood, while the kitten had only been splattered. The pool of red gore was spreading from the king's head while I stared down at the canvas to read the words I'd written long ago. Life is beautiful, I paused, because even the things we fear most have to die too.